Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 8. Um, We've already heard Greg read it, how majestic is God's name, his character, his ways, who he is in all the earth. So what an exciting thing that we get to hear the words of the living God and not be struck down and annihilated or something. Just the fact that we can pray to him, we can hear his word, he is so good to us. Psalm chapter 8. Let's pray once more, because I need it before we begin. Father, your name is majestic in all the earth, and we are humbled at your steadfast love that you continue to pursue us when we continually walk away from you. And we walk away not because... You're not satisfying in your character and in your nature. We walk away because our hearts are broken. They're broken because of Adam's sin so long ago. And we chase after other things. But yet you continually pursue us. And that is so mind-boggling. It's your nature. It's who you are. And we thank you for that, God. And we come... As broken, frail, weak people needing to hear from your word. So we ask now that by the power of the Spirit, you would strengthen our hearts once again this morning. We ask in Jesus' name so that his name would be declared and delighted in all the earth. Amen. Sometimes you need outside help. That was true Uh, For the woman in the following story, Linda Burnett was visiting her in-laws and while there went to a nearby supermarket to pick up some groceries. After shopping though, several people noticed Linda sitting in her car with the windows rolled up, her eyes closed, and both hands on the back of her head. One customer who had been at the store for a while noticed her in the car before he went inside to get groceries. But as he came out, he saw her there still sitting there and became concerned because it was a very hot day. And so he walked over to the car and he noticed that Linda's eyes were now open and she looked very strange. Through the window, he asked her if she was okay and she replied that she had been shot in the back of the head and had been holding in her brains for over an hour. The man called the paramedics who broke into the car because the doors were locked, and Linda had refused to remove her hands from her head. When they finally got in the car, they found that she had a wad of bread dough on the back of her head. A Pillsbury biscuit canister had exploded from the heat inside the car, making a loud noise that sounded like a gunshot, and the wad of dough hit Linda in the back of her head. When she reached back to find out what it was, she felt the dough and thought it was her brains. She had initially passed out, but quickly recovered and tried to hold in what she thought were her brains for over an hour until someone noticed and came to her aid. Sometimes you need outside help. 
And that was true for me because on hearing this story, I wanted to verify if it was, in fact, a true story. So like any modern human being living on planet Earth, I went to the Internet to see if this story was true. Thank you, Snopes.com. Turns out that the story has been around for quite a while, and once the Internet got its claws in it, it spread pretty rapidly and with a bit of variety each time it is retold. Turns out, too, that many times the woman in the story is described as being a blonde. Now, blonde ladies, don't hate on me. I'm only reporting the facts. But it turns out that many times, too, the woman being described in the story is described as being from the South, which is where I'm from. And the name of the state that she's often described as being from... Arkansas, which is where I was born, even though I was raised in Oklahoma. So, southern blondes sometimes need help grocery shopping. Sometimes you need outside help. The truth of the matter, though, is that we always need outside help. We are weak, we are helpless. We are fragile, and we live in a culture that does not value weakness. We live in a culture where strengths are applauded and where admitting weakness and frailty is frowned upon. We live in a culture where confidence is applauded and humility is looked down upon. And that's why we need Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is here to tell us that God often does things the weak way. That's how God often works in this world. Weak has always been the strong in God's economy because God has always used weak human beings to expand his kingdom so that he can get glory on the earth. That's how God works. He's always worked this way, using weak, frail human beings to expand and extend his kingdom so that he would get glory. But we are a proud people and we need reminders we forget that god is not like us and that he does not play by our rules god is not like us we want to mold him like play-doh we want to get him in our hands and shape him as if he were made of dough but he is not like us Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, is allergic to man's conventional wisdom. He doesn't do things the way that we would do things. He is somewhat strange, at least from man's perspective. And we'll see that in Psalm 8. So there is a rationale behind God's strange ways. He gets glory. When he works through and uses weak vessels. The strange ways of Yahweh are part of his conspiracy to get glory. And David has been waiting to tell us that. So we should stick our noses into Psalm 8. So look at verses 1 through 2. Oh Lord, when you see Lord in all capitals, remember that's God's covenant name in Hebrew, Yahweh. Oh Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Verses 1 and 2 stress that God does not do things like we do. And he certainly does not do things like the quote-unquote gods of the ancient Near East in David's day when he was writing this psalm. Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, splashes his glory and his majesty all over the place, all over creation. So allow me to paraphrase verse 1 for you so that you can catch its flavor. O Yahweh, our Lord, our master, how mighty, splendid, magnificent, impressive, and majestic is your name, your character, your ways, and your reputation in all the earth. You have set your glory, your weightiness, your power, your splendor, and your majesty above the earth, high in the heavens. What David is saying is that Yahweh has splashed who he is throughout heaven and earth. Everywhere you look, on the earth or up in the sky, you can see Yahweh's glory and his majesty. He has splashed his glory all over his creation. Look throughout the earth and you'll see him. Look up into the heavens and you'll see him. Look at the northern lights and you'll see his glory. Look at the bearded vulture and you'll see his glory. Look at the person sitting next to you and you'll see his glory. He has splashed his majesty all over his creation. His fingerprints are everywhere. But one of the strange and interesting ways that the Lord displays his glory and majesty in this world is to use weak, frail Helpless beings. Look at verse 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. Do you see how strange Jesus is? He uses babies to silence the Hulk Hogan's of this world. Weak, frail, helpless babies and infants are the vehicles that the Lord uses to silence the brute beasts of this world. God uses babies who need their diapers changed and who cry out for their pacifiers. He uses those babies to stop the strong in this world. And you thought God was boring? But what does David say when he says in verse 2, out of the mouths of babies and infants you have established strength. What strength is established from the mouths of those who populate nurseries? What strength is established in the mouth of babies who suck their pacifiers? The Hebrew word for established is literally laid the foundation. It's used throughout the Old Testament to describe the foundation that is laid for any building or structure. So David is saying that Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, laid the foundations of strength in the mouths of of babies and infants. But what is the strength that comes out of the mouths of babies and infants? It's praise. It's praise and worship and adoration of Yahweh, the sovereign Lord. That's how Jesus understands the verse. So I'm going to go with him. Seems like a good idea. 
Matthew 22 says this, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to Jesus, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? In Psalm 8, David is talking about the uppercut, the knockout punch that praise and worship can deliver. Praise of Yahweh can silence the enemies of God, especially when it comes not from the mouths of those who pump iron in the gym, but from the mouths of those who fill the nurseries and the daycares of this world. You see, I told you God is not like us. I told you that he is strange. I told you that he's not boring. He will pass over the tattooed weightlifter who stares at a reflection of himself in the mirror as he lifts weight in the gym in favor of the infant who is utterly dependent upon his mother for diaper changes and milk. And that's why John Calvin said, even infants who hang upon their mother's breasts can bring down to the ground the fury of the enemies of God. Although his enemies may do their utmost and may even burst with rage a hundred times, it is in vain for them to endeavor to overthrow the strength which manifests itself in the weakness of infancy. John Calvin is just saying that God often does things the weak way. Use babies to stop an army? Jesus says yes. Use babies that can only throw a pacifier at an approaching army? Jesus says yes. And that's encouraging for us because aren't we the children of God? The Bible never refers to Christians as the teenagers of God or the young adults of God or the mature adults of God. We're children, and God loves to use children, weak children, frail children, to display his glory and majesty throughout the earth. The infinitely glorious and majestic God of Psalm 8-1, who has splashed his reputation all over his creation, has an army of kids. Kids. Children who praise him and find their joy in him. Kids who delight in their weakness and worship him because he is their strength. So don't get worked up, Grace, when the church doesn't look that menacing in this world. Don't get worked up because things in this world and in this country have gone south. Don't get worked up because they're not going to throw you in prison when you start talking about the traditional definition of marriage, one man and one woman. They're going to throw the pastors in prison, so at least learn how to make a casserole and come visit us. But that doesn't mean that you won't experience persecution. 
So don't get worked up when the church doesn't look menacing. Don't stress out when it seems like dark days are on horizon for the church. Don't be bothered when the church does not flourish, when we look frail and flimsy. We're not that impressive in the eyes of the world. So what? What's new? God often does things the weak way and God defies conventional wisdom the conventional wisdom of this world and he uses weak people like you and me to confound the wise Jesus seems to have an allergy to man's conventional wisdom and that's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 1 when he says for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God defies conventional wisdom. He does not need nor use powerful people or eloquent speakers to silence his enemies. A simple childlike cry for help will be enough to stop his enemies. You gotta love a God like that. You gotta stand in awe of a God who prefers baby talk over army tanks. You gotta stand in awe of a God who says, I'll take babies over weapons of mass destruction any day. You, you wanna fight with me? You get your tanks, you get your uh, weapons of mass destruction, you get your grenades, you get your machine guns, you get all that, and I'm gonna go over to the nursery and I'm gonna grab a few babies. You wanna go to war with me? You gotta stand in awe of a God like that. And that's exactly how we find David in Psalm 8. We find David in awe of the Lord. Look at verses 3 through 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? David took an astronomy class at Zion Community College and it took him by surprise. When David stared up into the night sky that hovered over Israel and he saw probably two to three thousand stars out there, he couldn't get his mind wrapped around the fact that Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, the God of the universe, actually cared about him. David didn't have access to the Hubble telescope, but he could see enough of the splendor and majesty of Yahweh that he had splashed across the heavens to be awestruck that the Lord would even consider weak, frail, and flimsy human beings. And so when David says, what is man that you are mindful of him, he is not asking God a question. He's not posing a question here. He is making a declaration. 
David is saying, you are an infinitely glorious God. You made what scientists will later call the Milky Way. You made thousands and thousands of stars. You made the shiny dots that I see in the night sky that if I lived long enough, I would learn that they were called planets. You made this whole galaxy, and yet you want to know us and to work through us to extend your kingdom and to reflect your glory, us Fallen, broken, frail, flimsy, weak humanity? David is flabbergasted. But he's starting to realize that God often does things the weak way. The infinitely majestic God of the universe cares about humanity. Weak, frail, broken, sinful humanity. And David can't believe it. But David knows that this was God's plan all along. Mankind was the pinnacle of God's creation. And mankind was created to be God's vice regents and to help him rule on the earth. Look at verses 5 through 8. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. These verses are just Genesis 1 condensed down. David is saying what Moses says in Genesis 1. Human beings are made in the image of God, and we were created by God to be God's vice regents and to rule and have dominion over the earth. Human beings were created by God to rule and have dominion over all creatures, great and small. But when you read Genesis 1, and then you read Psalm 8... You know that something must have happened because even though humanity was given dominion and everything was put under our feet, we don't see that fully and completely right now. Oh, sure, In N Out has dominion over cows and potatoes, and we thank God for that, but not all of creation is subjected to us as it was at the beginning for Adam. You have to understand that when Adam sinned, everything changed. Yes, we still have dominion. We have things put under our feet, but we don't see that fully and completely. Which is why if a lion came in here right now, we would all freak out. But Adam didn't before the fall. Which is also why the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 8. Speaking of Jesus, he says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death 
for everyone. We don't see creation the way it was supposed to be right now, but we will one day. We don't see things restored right now, but what we do see is Jesus. We see Jesus, the eternal Son of God, being made a human being, a little lower than the angels, suffering and dying for our sin to fix what Adam broke. We see Jesus tasting death for sinners to make them right with God. All that the writer of Hebrews is trying to say is that God often does things the weak way. And that's what the incarnation is about. When President Ronald Reagan was in the hospital after being shot during the assassination attempt on his life, he he got up out of the hospital bed one night and went into the bathroom to wash his face. And as he threw water on his face, some water splashed down to the uh, ground below. So he grabbed some paper towels and got down on his knees and began wiping up the water. And a nurse walked in and said, Mr. President, what are you doing? We have people for that. And President Reagan said, oh no, I was just cleaning up my mess. I didn't want a nurse to have to do it. Imagine the most powerful man in the world at that time, down on his knees on a dirty hospital floor. And that's a picture of the incarnation. It's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. He humbled himself, took on the weakness of human flesh, and got down on his knees and served us on a broken planet, dirtied with sin. The gospel message is all about Jesus taking on human flesh to fix what Adam broke through his sin. The gospel is all about Jesus becoming weak so that we might be made strong in him. And in Psalm 8, David is flabbergasted that the Lord would use weak frail humanity to expand his kingdom and to declare his glorious name. And that's why David concludes Psalm 8 the same way that he began it. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David can't help but praise the one who uses weak vessels to silence the strong. And the Apostle Paul does the exact same thing in 2 Corinthians. And if you want some homework this week, read 2 Corinthians because it's all about being weak but being strong at the same time. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, when he was given a thorn in the flesh, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus seems to place a high value on weakness, and yet we often run 
from it. We value strength. We tell people, play to your strengths. Too often, we are like President Reagan on the day he was shot. On the way to the hospital, he was coughing up blood in the limousine, but people inside didn't know exactly how bad he was hurt because he was quickly rushed away from the scene. And when they arrived at George Washington Hospital, President Reagan pulled himself out of the limo on his own. He stood up, sucked in his stomach, tucked in his shirt, pulled up his pants, and buttoned his suit jacket. He had to look right and decent and proper. He was the president. But then, after 30 feet of trying to walk on his own, he collapsed. And we do the same thing. We think we can do it. We think we are strong enough. If we just use our strengths, then we'll be fine. We need no one. We have an aversion to weakness. We are allergic to weakness. And yet weakness seems to be a core value of Jesus. Paul boasted in his weakness. He gladly accepted weakness. He was content being weak. Why? Because Paul, like David, figured out that you will only be strong to the degree that you realize that you are weak. You will only be strong to the degree that you realize you really are weak. Because when you are weak, then you are strong. J.I. Packer says in his latest book, Weakness is the Way. The Christian way of life and service is a walk of weakness. As human strength gives out, and only divine strength can sustain and enable. When, humanly, we are weak, then in the Lord We are strong. So it was for the apostles and their colleagues two millennia ago, and so it can and should be today for you and me. The sense in which the Christian life is essentially a pathway of weakness along which God leads us, sustaining and strengthening us for service as we go, is now becoming clear. With regard to tasks and relationships, it is often right and part of our calling that we should embrace options in which we may easily find ourselves out of our depth and in which we know that we cannot hope to succeed without God's help. And with regard to circumstances, it is often the case that in God's sovereign providence, unforeseen difficulties arise, throwing us back on the Lord for support and subjecting our faith and faithfulness to very grueling tests. Let me pull one sentence out of that quote and read it again, and I want you to think about it. J.I. Packer says, With regard to tasks, the things that we do here at Grace, and relationships, the relationships that we have at Grace, it is often right and part of our calling that we should embrace options in which we may easily find ourselves out of our depth and in which we know that we cannot hope to succeed without God's help. How often do we do that? How often do we embrace situations 
and opportunities to minister precisely because we are weak and unable to do it apart from the Lord. How often do you hear about an opportunity to serve and you think, there's no way I could do that. I'm not skilled. I don't have strengths in that area. I'm not gifted in the area. I'm weak. I want to do it. How often do we join a small group or a Sunday school class to be around people that we don't know, to get us out of our comfort zones, or to be around people we don't like? Precisely because it pulls us out of our depth and it forces us to throw ourselves upon Jesus and say, give me the grace and the strength to endure. This situation, this ministry opportunity, this person. Something to think about later today. Gloria Furman says, if you know the God through whom this kind of life is possible, how could you ever want to live any other way than by his strength made perfect in your weakness. If you know the God through whom this kind of life is possible, how could you ever want to live any other way than by his strength made perfect in your weakness? Is there any other way, really, for a disciple to live? To live in such a way that you are so weak and so utterly dependent on Jesus for everything. And because you are so utterly dependent on Jesus for everything. That when you do make it through any difficult situation. It is only therefore by his grace. And then who gets the praise? Jesus does. Just show up with your weakness. And say I can't do it. He shows up with his strength. Who gets the glory? You're already weak. All you got to do is show up and ask for help. He's already strong and he's already promised to give you the strength that you need. And when you do that, his name is magnified and glorified in the earth. When you live a life of weakness and you're strengthened by Jesus, you will be saying by your life to everyone who sees you, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When you are weak and you reach the end of your rope and you realize that you can't do anything apart from the Lord, then you are exactly where God wants you to be and exactly in a place where his majesty and glory will be shown in your life on the earth. When you reach that place where you know that you can't parent your children without the power of the Holy Spirit, then you are at a place where he will help you and it will reflect his majesty. When you reach that place where you know that you can't survive and thrive in your marriage without the power of the Holy Spirit, then you are at that place where he will help you and it will reflect his majesty. When you reach that place where you know that you can't be single without the power of the Holy Spirit, then you are at a place where he will help you and it will reflect his majesty. You, you fill in the blank in your life. Where do you feel weak and helpless? Where are you saying, God, I cannot go on. God, I cannot do it. Identify it and then throw yourself on Jesus. Ask him to empower you so that people see you and they realize that God is the one who is helping you make it through what you're going through. When you live a life of weakness, and you're strengthened by Jesus, you will be saying by your life to everyone who sees you, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How majestic God is when he uses fragile, flimsy people like you and like me. 
His glory shines most in this world when he uses weak babies like you and like me. He establishes strength in the praise and worship and adoration of babies like you and me. God often does things the weak way. So get used to it. That's how he is glorified in your life. You need outside help, and he is happy to help you. So try it sometime. It makes his name majestic in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, what a humbling and convicting and encouraging uh, psalm. It's really what Chet prayed for, and it's all here. Um, We take great encouragement that you don't turn us away in our weakness. We take great encouragement that your son Jesus clothed himself with weakness so that we might be made strong in him. And that's the hope of the gospel. So we cherish that this morning. We value that this morning. May we not just think about our strengths, God, because even in our strengths and giftings, we're still just weak and frail. But God, may we be like Paul. May we boast in our weakness. Maybe, may we be glad in our weakness. May we be content because when we understand our weakness and we cry out to you for help, it is then that we are strong. But more important than our strength, God, it is then that your name is majestic in all the earth. What a strange, different God you are. But we love you just like you are. You're not like us. Help us. We cry like babies. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.